0: a lot of woes in that passage hey good morning Uh, my name is Kyle Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at generations if we have not met um, want to say right off the top here Your story matters, and we want to get to know you and your story. One of the ways that we do that is through those gen cards. So before you leave, please fill one of those out. We'd love to get to know you uh, and your story. And for those in our church community, we also want you to consider filling one of those out out as well, because we really do. We pray for you. We make note. We want to be able to check in and follow up. And so sometimes we do that relationally via text or, or email, but we also just... Sometimes, you know, we're like two ships passing in the night, and so sometimes it's just nice to have have a note so that we can follow up uh, with um, each of us. And just as we have said that your stories matter, uh, it's not just your story, it's your questions. They matter too. Um, We know that sometimes coming into a faith or community of faith, it feels like, um, oh, if I'm showing up to church or I'm going to be around church, then like, I have to have it all together, or I have to know all the answers. Um, Really, in some ways, uh, we are taking this open book of tests called life together. Um, And by open book, I mean the word of God together with each other, where we get to uh, use each other's notes and insight. And so we really want to your questions matter. And so we, we created a form. So I've answered four questions, gonna answer the fourth during this series. If your question has not been answered, uh, let us know either on your gen card or fill out that digital form uh, because chances are the series is gonna come back and I'm gonna answer more questions, whether from stage or hopefully we can meet together one-on-one and we can process through that. And there's no question that that's really off limits uh, because if we are going to have purposeful presence um, in our community, if we are going to live well here and now on behalf of God, with God for the sake of the world, under the rule and reign of Jesus, uh, then we need to process this life and to support each other on this journey. In fact, um, has anyone ever like expected like an encounter that didn't quite go like how it played out like in your mind? Like, am I the only one that does that where it's like uh, something's coming up? Uh, Q, I got a fantasy football draft this afternoon. So all the scenarios are coming, are coming through in my mind. Okay, so if I'm pick six, how is this going to work out? And you start to foreplay, like, all those scenarios in your head of how that might interact. Maybe you've done that with an interaction for the first day on a job or for our kids the first day of school. Or there's maybe been some relational tension uh, in your life, and you know you're going to see this person soon and you want to know how is that interaction go so you kind of play those scenarios maybe even self-talk you kind of mimic the conversation in your brain and you, you get all these conversations and then you get to the interaction and then it essentially goes nothing quite like <laughs> you had expected or envisioned I think that's one of the unique things that God gives us is the creative capacity to think about the future and to think about uh, just about those interactions and really to create environments and opportunities uh, with people and, and with God. I was, I, I bring that up because I was, I was watching one of uh, my favorite sci-fi shows and uh, this this girl was in uh, cryo sleep and um, she was anticipating meeting her mom for the first time. Time and her and her mom were had both been in cryo sleep, and so it's this awkward scenario where the daughter ends up actually being older than the mom, and 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 this daughter had had all of these pictures of, of what it was gonna be like to meet her, her mom, and and she, she had been awake now from cryosleep for a couple days and was just sitting there waiting for her mom to essentially wake up and the, the mom goes, Whoa, hold, hold on, hold on. I, I'm just learning that one, I have a daughter, and two, You've had all of this time to process this moment, and I'm just finding out. And the reason is because the daughter was, like, telling the mom, like, why are you not reacting either angry or excited? And was had all confused that have all these possible scenarios of what this could have been like or maybe even should have been like. And the mom hadn't reacted the way that she had wanted. And the mom was very honest about, like, hey, I am just catching up to speed here with what is going on. I think sometimes when we engage this fourth question, why don't Christians act like a Christian at all times? Or why don't Christians always act like a Christian? What we're dealing with is a picture in our head of what we think maybe Christians should act like, what they should look like, and those are both questions that we have, maybe as people engage in a faith community, and those outside of, it, just in our broader community, when when they look at the church or when they when when they look at Christians, sometimes it's like, well, hey, why don't this person, if they claim Christ, why don't they act like well, a Christian? And when we start to ask this question, whether Maybe it's about social issues or how we apply faith or even just some general hypocrisy. We got to start to deal with that underlying question. See, what claim, when someone says that, are, are we really making? Maybe, maybe it's like when we approach this question or this question's asked, it's the, the uh, assumption or the claim that they, they, they don't act like I think they should. We, we evaluate someone, we analyze someone, and we say, well, they're, they're not acting like I think they should. Or maybe, it's a second possible underlying claim, is they don't act like they claim they will. Maybe there's an expectation that's been expressed or a verbal cue, and it's, well, they don't act like they say they will. There's an inconsistency there, and I'm identifying and pointing that out. And maybe the third, which I think may be actually the most prevalent, is they don't act like me. Especially for those of us who maybe claim Christ. So I think we just got to define some terms here at the outset. Uh, If we don't get on the same page of some of these just general terms, then we might be speaking about two different things. And so let me just give you some quick definitions. When someone says the term Christian, what that root is, is little Christ. So if Jesus were in your shoes... Living every day, your the character and priority of that person should mimic or mirror that of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself and claim the name of Christ, your goal, your response is to act in the character and priorities of Jesus. Sometimes we use the word Jesus follower around here. Same type of idea. So for us, when we say the word Christian around Generation Church, what we mean is little christ if jesus were in your shoes where you live work and play you are going to embody his character and priorities well when that starts to express itself in terms of christians together who they are and where they're at we got to talk about what the local church is Because sometimes these claims of why don't Christians act like Christians is because they lob claims at the local church. And so here's my little definition for like what the local church is. It's a family of missionary servants united with Jesus in baptism who live for, love, and learn from to build a good world with him or Jesus and for others in the community. The local expression of Christians, what we are, what we do. Again, here at Generations, we say, hey, we're a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. You could see how that vision, that picture that we're trying to articulate, who we are, might be found in a definition like this. At a core, the church is a family of missionary servants united with Jesus. And that starts to give us a picture of, so then when people call out maybe hypocrisy or they notice inconsistency, for us, we actually can come back to some honesty and some sincerity of, are we living up to what those terms actually mean? And if we don't, what's the issue? Is there a concern? Is there a remedy for how that might play out? See, when we start to answer this question, why don't all Christians act like Christians? I think sometimes with the assumption, especially in our modern um, understanding or appearance or expression of church, is that all people who attend church are in fact Christian. Let me say it a different way. The assumption is that Anybody who sets foot in a church or claims the name of Christ is, in fact, an actual Christian. See, not all people who attend our modern expression of church are, in fact, Christian. Both the world and us within our church community miss this. Gandhi is quoted as saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christianity. See, the, the reason we, when we start to answer this question, and we want to know why don't Christians always act like Christ— Or why do church people don't always act like Christ? It's because the church is filled with people, at times, who aren't actually Christian. And air quotes around that church. In fact, Jesus clearly taught there are not only false teachers in the world who lead people astray into false doctrine and behavior, But there are also false disciples in the world who lead themselves astray into false beliefs and false lives. Matthew chapter 7 talks about precisely this. Be on your guard against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are the grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Either Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. In verse 20. What happens, well, I'll keep going. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, talking about the end of time, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. It's this interesting paradox of you can be around church, you could even claim being a religious person, but there's a disconnect between those who actually participate in the will of God and in the midst of the world who actually are, in fact, truly embody what it means to be Christian and those maybe who Jesus says, yeah, you've, you did all of these things, but I didn't actually know you. It's sometimes where the claim comes is like uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, Those type of statements come from a passage like this because what it is is Jesus has to know you. You have to be known by him and you have to know him. And when you know Jesus, when you are known by him, you are attached to him, rooted in his love, just as that passage says, good fruit will emerge. And what happens is we got to start, we we tend to only evaluate people based on their behavior, and sometimes that's when we're answering this question as we say, we start to judge or evaluate people by their fruit. And there is some truth in the reality of if you are rooted and attached to Jesus, over time, the love, kindness, patience, forgiveness that is found in union with Christ will start to be expressed in your life. But Jesus knows that Not every person who claims Lord, Lord will follow him well. Which is why he says, don't focus on those people, but be focused on me. Jesus saying, focus on himself, on his life, his teachings, and his actions. That's why we try to continue to, here at Generations, we constantly are trying to break down the idea of like, hey, the pastors are better people than everybody else. And in reality, what we're trying to say is, can we focus on Jesus because he is the only one who won't let you down. He is the only one who will be consistently present, provide what you need, when you need, how you need it. I am finite. I don't have all answers and all wisdom. So even as we've tried to provide answers in the midst of this series. I have to humbly even submit those answers that I've presented to you, ultimately to the wisdom and word of God and how that's expressed. That's what we have to do routinely together. So focus on Jesus. See, Christianity is not good advice to help good people lead moral lives. It's good news about Jesus, who he was, and what he did. And so churches are filled with people who attend every Sunday service, don't say bad words, don't watch bad movies, make sure they give their offering every week. However, they don't actually know, love, or walk with God at all. They have simply adopted a cultural Christianity with an exoskeleton of religious trappings. They maybe even do it to make themselves feel good. You know some of those people because they say, why do you like church? Well, I like the music, it makes me feel good well, good, I'm glad music makes you feel good or even potentially emotional or close. But then you're consuming a gathering rather than maybe even contributing to or recognizing that the reason why we gather is not so that you feel good, but to learn more and to better follow Jesus together. See, these are the types of people who are called lukewarm in revelation or hypocrites, In Matthew chapter 23, they say one thing but behave contrary to the way of Christ. Jesus always levies his most scathing critiques for those who say one thing and do another. And this is specifically, he levies these claims in Matthew chapter 23 at the religious leaders. Those who claimed that they had studied the law and knew what to do, but were presenting something entirely different. Jesus warns us, and at the end of the day, that there's going to be a group of people who say, Lord, Lord, but he will say, I never knew you. And sometimes that's scary to think about. That's weighty, because what we start to wrestle with in our own heart, is that me? Where do I find place in that? And, and we start to to evaluate all of these things. And the reason why is because we crave assurance. We crave assurance in a way that we can be sure that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Every time, all the time. And so we look for ways to manufacture ultimately false assurance. Because how do we have assurance? Do we believe Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Loving God, Are we attached to him? Are we baptized into him? And then out of that, is our life changing? When you look back, if you've made that public profession of faith, and you start to consider your own life, over time, do you notice a difference? Sometimes the reason why we need each other is because sometimes we're a little too hard on ourselves, and sometimes our closest friends and family can actually say, you know, when that Um, situation did not go so well two years ago you would have chewed that guy off you would have flipped him the bird when you when he cut you off and instead you just kept right along i see a change in you but we've got to have some relationships together over time so that we can become aware of our change and others can see some of the change in our lives and we also know what's in our own heart and in our mind if we are in fact changing and we have to start asking some questions of ourselves, which can be scary and daunting. Do I want to change? That's a tough one. Why? Because sometimes we like things the way they are. We like a sense of security, significance, and I'll use another word that I used a moment ago assurance because we know we can meet the standard that we've set for ourselves, good or bad, right or wrong, we can live up to the standard that we set maybe for ourselves all the time. And sometimes a nebulous like, am I living the way of Jesus in my everyday life can be a little more intimidating and overwhelming to consider because it's so big, it's so macro, can I get my arms around it? And what I love about the way Jesus just, he just tears into these Pharisees. As he says, stop adding extra things to what you think is right. Start with what you know and do precisely that. No more, no less. Some of you are worried, I don't know the Bible, Kyle, that well. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I'm concerned about this or that. I'm not asking you to know, be omniscient to know everything. Start with what you know if you know that you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, if you know that simple thing, start there. If you know that that you are, if God has been asking you to maybe do something for someone, be a little kinder, drop off a note or a present, and you've been reluctant to do that because you feel led, start with just responding and doing that. Simply respond. If, If you have claimed Christ and you feel prompt. Simply respond. Don't simply, because here's what it comes out to, is the reason that Christians don't always act like Christians is because we sometimes say we believe in God, but we don't actually believe God. And what happens is when we simply say we believe in God, but don't believe God, we are reluctant to act when he calls us to respond. And so what we do is we believe. Just like the Pharisees have done is they start to build these walls or these circles around the things that we know to do, because I can meet that standard because I set that one for myself. But to meet the one that I'm unsure that God is asking me to, maybe simply respond in love or kindness or grace, that's a little bit harder. It's a little bit more nebulous. But ultimately, if we Simply respond, and I'll use another word that can, can be loaded, like obey, to what he is asking us to do. What that means is that we're able to precisely see him at work, and we act, and we actually believe him. That he will bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness within our hearts, But sometimes when we create these cultural forms of Christianity, we actually create an image problem because it's not actually the core to begin with. This exemplifies what many people mean when they call Christians hypocrites. They see people who claim to be morally upright because of all of these extra rules, yet don't sound, act, and live any different than anyone else. According to the Bible, though, if there's no outward change in behavior uh, with allegiances, loves, passions, then are we really following Jesus? Jesus would question whether these people are actually Christians at all. Are they known by him, and do they know him? To the someone who may be here or watching online, I know that this may be a strong objection of why you've kept church at a distance, while you've kept relationships at a distance. Christians don't act like Christians. And I would just humbly encourage you to assess the Christian worldview based on its central teachings, not on the people who try to follow it. Our first questions need to be, what did Jesus teach? How did Jesus live? Because the essence of Christianity is Jesus. It's not Kyle, it's not Generations. Leo Tolstoy once said, attack me rather than the path I follow, and which I point out to anyone who asks me where I think it lies. If I know the way home and I'm walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way because I'm staggering from side to side? The church is full of people who come from different backgrounds and have different experiences and are at different stages of growth. And if a person claims to love Jesus but never actually tries to learn from him or live the way he taught, it's hard to take that claim seriously. The writer of James says that even the demons know God exists. They have faith, but that faith doesn't save them. Why? Because faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It is a scary thought, but there is such a faith thing as faith in God, being aware of what he can do, but it doesn't save. See what starts to save, what starts to work in our lives is not just to believe that there is a God up there or out there or around, but actually believe the personal God, the creator God, the Lord God of the Bible. To believe him about what he says is true about the world, the human predicament, what the remedy is, and how we should respond. See, the biggest difference between life transformation and spiritual stagnation is not merely believing in God, but believing God. Believing in God doesn't always change behavior, but believing God does, which is why when we pray up here with our kids and we try to remind them, you are a loved child of God, that allows them to say no to peer pressure. That allows them to, to, when they fail on a test, that they don't have to be scared to come home and tell mom and dad because hopefully mom and dad or parents or their church family can look at them and say, hey, you're loved. That that stinks. That's not good. Let's let's get at this again. They don't have to be worried. There's never a worry that they can't come home. See, believing in God sometimes means that there's this eternal standard that we just constantly hang our head and say we can't live up to. But believing God says, I'm aware that there's an internal standard, but yet I can still come home because my bigger brother, Jesus, came and met that standard. And he welcomes me home and he wants me home. See, when Jesus goes after the Pharisees, he's on his final descent to the cross and he needs to draw a stark contrast. The Pharisees were out of alignment with the way of God. They had built extra to create a false assurance. Just a few thoughts on these Matthew 23 woes. It says, woe to those who shut up the kingdom and keep people out. They made up human traditions and expectations to keep people out of the kingdom. They, another way for me to say this, for my sports loving people, is they moved the goalposts for others that they were unwilling to meet themselves. It was about power. Matthew 23 verse 14. they created an assurance for their own financial security. They wanted control. They, they wanted things that way. For Matthew 23:15 it says more people, um, essentially they, they were this incredible missionary zeal. it says that they, they went out and reached all kinds of people, but what, what they were really after was populism, if they an approval of others. Because more people on your side doesn't always make it right. Matthew 23 verses 16 through 22 when it talks about the idea of woe to you blind guys who say whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary and means nothing. What they're doing is they're looking for tangible physical things that could grant them assurance. I can see the gold or I can see the altar. And the whole point is. Yeah, you can see that, you can touch that, you can taste it, you can smell it. But do you believe the, the, the one who is behind all those things and who created that foretaste of that reality? Matthew 23, verses 23 through 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. It was easier to tithe, than it was to engage. 25 and 26, when it talks about the cup, they're unwilling to change their internal motivations. They don't want to change. They like where they're at, because they know precisely, yeah, I can look good, feel good, sound right and good, and that's all that matters, is keep up that outward appearance. They were unwilling to change external actions. And then Matthew 29 through 36, they glorify the past in terms of the former prophets at the expense of the present. All of these are the same barriers that we face. We like things we can physically do, complete. We like some security. We like to jockey for power. We like the control. We like to think of the past as better than the present at times. Because it's easier to live there, do those things than it is actually to let the core of Christ and who he is and what he has done change our heart, remind us of who we are in him and give us the capacity to respond. Some of you are thinking, yeah, why don't Christians always act like Christ? And the finger's pointed out there. And sometimes I think we need to ask those tough questions of ourselves. See, the transformation that we want to see out in the world, that we want to even see for our own church, it starts in here with us. You believing God, who he is, what he has done for you, and choosing that every moment of every day. And watch that change your heart or life. See, Sometimes the thinking is, well, I don't want to claim Christ or I don't want to be a Christian or I don't want to be baptized as a Christian because I don't want to be a hypocrite. And here's the thinking behind those statements, that being a Christ follower means being perfect. And being a hypocrite means saying you're not a Christ follower and not being perfect. So since people don't want to be a hypocrite, they won't associate themselves with Christians or the church or Christ but that's as screwed up as real hypocrisy is. The truth is that the opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection. The opposite of hypocrisy is spiritual authenticity. See, the good news of the gospel doesn't say, hey, come get cleaned up, be good, I'll make you more moral. The good news of the gospel is it takes dead people and makes them alive Amen. and able to live. Amen. And that's the hope. Is that you go from being dead inside to truly alive. Yeah. And then, as, think of all the walking dead stuff, and it's like we live in a world that's not two ways far from like a walking dead mentality, where everybody around us may be like zombies, wanting for a remedy. And at the end of the day, Christianity is, is presenting that remedy, is truly living and giving people an alternative. See, I, just like you, fail a thousand times a day. But when we start to consider our own lives and our own hearts, are we starting to be more like Jesus more now than I was five years ago? Maybe even more today than I was yesterday. The Christian faith is unique in holding to the idea that the first step towards authentic spirituality is not about having your act together, but in knowing that you don't. I hear so many people say, I can't get baptized, or I can't claim Christ. I just don't, I haven't done enough. I haven't got my life together enough. And so that's precisely the point. The Amen. fact that you're aware of that is the first step. Amen. And so know that you are a loved child of God. Come home, and now start living Amen. as if you have a home, and you, in fact, that Amen. you do. See, authentic Christian life isn't marked by perfection it's marked by transformation. Amen. See, and when we can admit our faults and our failures and our mistakes or our sin, and not glory in them, right. but call them as they are, it actually doesn't undermine Christianity at all. It proves that it's actually true. Amen. It proves that it's actually true. So you don't have to fear if you feel like, man, I'm a hypocrite. I don't have it together. Guess what? So am I. Amen. Come on. And we're loved Amen. child of God. We're loved children of God. Amen. And so as we look at the scope of history and we look at this present moment, we can freely admit these things were wrong and evil. Mm-hmm. Crusades, probably not good. Mm-hmm. Evil done in Christ's name, not good. Mm-hmm. But here right now, I'm trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. And hopefully your life starts to show fruit of that, which means two things. We've got to have sustained presence and we've got to have personal change. We can't expect our culture to change or transform or even others to change or transform if we don't have sustained presence in our relationships and enact and live personal change. See, people cannot see change in your life if their relationships never go deeper than surface level. And they will never see change in your life if your life is also completely segregated. We fight hard to say, where you live, work, and play, how do we help those things overlap? How do they become integrated so that you don't result in the pressure of being one person at one point at your job, one person at church, one person at home? How do we help those become integrated together? That's the journey of together, so that we can do that, to live the character and priorities in all places. And so how are you changing? So this isn't some call to like level up or grind or get more discipline. In fact, it's a place of where we can admit our faults, when people start to practice love and grace that gives us the capacity to practice love and grace and forgiveness. Next week, we'll start a series on our values at Generations. So you know what you value most by the choices you make, and our hope is that at Generations that we are people who are understanding what our actual values are because of how they're expressed in our life. And helping those be replaced by the character and priorities of Jesus and what he values in our everyday life. And as we do that over time, when people assess the people of generations and they go, oh, they're they're a bunch of hypocrites. Or they they act one way here and act one way there. That there's enough presence, there's enough time, there's enough relationship. So maybe they start that way but that statement doesn't stay that way because they see change. They hear stories. And they also see people who go, yep, I'm willing to admit when I got it wrong and ask for forgiveness and take the necessary steps to move forward. So why don't all Christians act like Christians? Because the human heart craves assurance, faulty assurances, that we can touch, see, smell, and act on and live up to. And while people may believe in God, they don't always believe Jesus. And my hope for us is that you believe Jesus, that you are a loved child of God. Your sins can be forgiven. In fact, when you've been baptized in him, they are forgiven. And you do not have to measure your future by your past or even your present but by who he says you are. And now simply live and respond to that reality. Believe Jesus today. Let's pray. God, you are good. And right now, I just think people are probably struggling with Living up to the standard or evaluating others, or is this true about me, God? And I just pray that they just believe you. That they believe that they are loved, that they are valued, that their story matters because you moved on behalf of them in the cross and the resurrection. God, that they don't measure other people by some external standard that's completely arbitrary but that we start to live in response and treat people how you treated them. We measure them by the compassion that you showed for us on the cross. May we live that, may we believe that, may we respond. May we be a people who debunks that claim over time. May we admit our faults when we need to. May we repent when we need to, but may we hope in your cleansing blood and your reality that you make us new, you have made us new when we put you on, when we are clothed with you in baptism. Thank you for that reality. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Per each week, I want to send you well. I just want to pray this over you today. Again, and maybe you want to repeat this because you need to pray this prayer for someone in your life, or maybe you just need to say the words out loud for your own soul. give you permission to do that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then lived for generations to come. Amen. You're loved. Have a great week.